Good to see everybody today. Got a hold of Mike today. Our back, our little pack went out better this week than next week since next week is Resurrection Sunday. I want to encourage you to, to invite somebody, for real. I know that for many years that we talk about that, I talk about it, but rarely do I invite people, and probably rarely do you invite people. And it's one of those times where people might legitimately come if we just say, hey, where are you going next week? You want to come to Grace? And so it's a great opportunity for them to hear the gospel and just to maybe just be exposed to a loving church family. So I hope that you will do that. Um, I, I read about a lady that some of her friends on Facebook were giving her a hard time for switching to a Mac computer, which we know everybody who's smart actually switches to a Mac computer. And she responded to the post by putting Jeremiah 9.21 on there, death has come through our windows. And then she quoted Song of Solomon 2.5, and it says, refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. All right? So not the correct use of scripture for sure, and clearly a joke, clearly a joke there. But this one's true, all right? This, this person wasn't joking, whereas that lady was definitely making light. A pastor on radio was reading from a passage where Jesus, where the passage where Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And then after the transfiguration, they were coming down off the mountain, and he was reading out of the King James Version where Jesus commanded the, the disciples. He said, tell no I'm sorry, tell the vision to no man. Tell the vision to no man. And then he began to work his sermon out of that, which said, tell the vision to no man. Tell the vision to no man. Television for no man. It's a sin to watch TV. Television for no man. True story. And that was funny, but it's shameful more than funny, right? Because here's a person, and this happens all the time, People will take scripture and twist it or turn it or allegorize it to make it say whatever they want to say. And that just isn't something of our times. That's something that's been going on since the beginning. And so today as we return to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to see again, Paul is confronting the false teachers with the truth of the, of the scriptures and how that they should rightly divide the scripture. And he tells Timothy, you got to take a step up and take charge in this. So let's pray, and we'll look at verses 14 through 19. If you don't have the app, I encourage you to download that, some extra content, a little bit of uh, fun interaction today there that you can do on the app with one of the things that we're going to look at. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And as we have, have sang this morning in the songs that Mitch picked out for us today, just a reminder of the firm foundation that we have and the, the word of life that we have. And God, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we find the knowledge of him through the word of life. And God, I pray that you will help us to be people of the book, people who know your word, who memorize your word, who are in your word on a regular basis, God, so that we can uh, live lives that reflect you and live lives that are holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 14 Paul starts off to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which do no good, but only ruins the hearers. And so over the last couple of weeks, when we've looked at the, these passages, and also as we've gone back even further to 1 Timothy, we've seen that Paul has circled again and again back to this, uh, these false teachers that were in the church there in Ephesus. And much of this, these pastoral letters were instructions to young Pastor Timothy to be diligent in confronting them and preaching the true word that he, they, that he had received from Paul. 
And so remember, there's a sense of urgency Paul has in this book. Second Timothy is Paul's final book. This is, he's in a, a damp, dungy Roman prison cell, and he's be, getting ready to be executed. He's pretty certain of that, and that actually happens in AD 67. So he's writing Timothy, and he's giving things that are urgent. These are matters that you must act on, Timothy. And the first one, look what he says in verse 14. He says, remind them, remind the church of these things. And literally saying, keep reminding, keep reminding the people of the truths that I'm giving to you. And while it may go back to what we looked at last week, really, I think that his reminder has been what he's saying is, look back, everything I've given you thus far in this book, in this letter, remind the people of these things. Keep reminding them. Because much in life, no matter what it is, whether it's spiritual or whether it's in your secular world, much of life requires us to master the basics and then return to them again and again and again. In the area of business, I read this from a famous business person. They said, the fundamentals of your business are like free throws. Emphasize and practice them to perfection. And so we need reminders for any occupation, any job, anything that we do, we need to be reminded of the truths and the fundamentals. Why? Because we're lazy. We forget sometimes those things that are important to us. We lose focus and then... Plain and simple, we just forget things that we should know. We forget the urgency, the importance of some of the basic things that we should remember. I'll give you a little test here, keep you awake this morning, all right? In 1986, 2012, 2015, and 2018, I was super skilled at parallel parking. Those four years, during a little window there, I was super skilled at parallel parking. I could squeeze my car into any spot that was any big at all big enough to fit my car in. But most of the time, besides 86, 2012, 2015, 2018, I'm a horrible parallel parker. Why is that? What happened in those years? You can get feedback here. Yeah, me and my children had to take the driver's test. That's when they were getting ready to turn 16. And so we had to set up cones. We had to go and practice. And again, and again, I had to show them how it was done. And then way back in 86 was when I had to learn to parallel park a long time ago, right? And so this, was a, this is something that even just practically we need to be reminded of. We don't naturally remember how to parallel park without a little trial and error there, right, to do it when we have to do it. And so don't get frustrated by hearing the same things again and again. Just like Paul circles back again to the word and the value of the word and how critical it is. But I'm, I'm here to say we need reminded of this because why? The majority of Christians don't read their Bibles. And so can you really get reminded of good things too many times if we're not acting on those things? And so, again, he's just reminding them and, and constantly putting in front of them. In fact, what a great reminder today is referred to as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday was when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the people were lining the streets and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Praise Jesus, the Messiah, the King is coming. And here they are lining the streets celebrating Jesus. But yet a week later, they've, many of the same people who were saying that were now saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so that's a great reminder. Palm Sunday is an incredible reminder of our own fickleness and our own abilities to just forget who Jesus Christ is, and he's Savior and he's Lord, and we should always esteem him. How quickly people forget that and can quickly go from he's king to crucify him. 
And so the second thing he says now, besides remind, he says, number two, warn the church not to be arguing over words with these false teachers. Look at verse 14 again. He says, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Not to quarrel about words. Word quarrels in the areas of theology may surprise you that people actually do this. When I was in Bible college in my dorm, fourth floor of Martin, um, everybody there was, even if we were majoring in other things other than Bible or ministry, you had to take a bunch of Bible, as Justin mentioned about the urgency of that with our ki- these kids. Our Bible college, no matter if you were a major in business, you still got, I think, 30-some hours of Bible classes. And so we had chapels, and we had special speakers come in. And there was one day that I, I don't remember what the discussion was about, but I was standing in the dorm room of a guy named Brian Bickers, and I was discussing something that was controversial that was going on in this area of theology or practice of theology. And it became, started getting heated. And in fact, it got heated to the point I was kind of standing in his doorway, and he began to close the door on me as I was standing there trying to argue and make my point. And you know what I did? I, I, I literally put my foot to the door and stopped the door from being closed and, and stopped it because I wanted to get my final point across to him. And it almost came to blows with Brian over something about Jesus. That's really, really sad. But it happens all the time. And look what he says to Timothy. Look back at the verse, verse 14. He says, I charge them, I'm charging the church before God. Think about the seriousness of that. He's saying, look, this matters, and I'm showing you how much it matters because this is something that I want to just bring God's name into it specifically before God. Don't fight and argue and quarrel about words. Now, think about that for a second. Why is that important? Because a couple things we need to think about here, because words are very important. Precise theology requires precise words. If you mess up on some words, it can really, really be devastating to somebody's faith and their understanding of Scripture. So is that what he's saying? He's saying that, you know, it doesn't really matter? No, what Paul is getting at here is they were arguing about things that really didn't mean anything. They were meaningless arguments. We talked about this back in First Timothy. They were arguing about genealogies and who was a descendant of this person and these pointless things that they were fighting and arguing about. And then also, just there was an attitude, even if it was something that was probably important, there was just an attitude that was going on here that the false teachers had that he wants Timothy to go into this and approach it completely differently. He doesn't want him going in with the same demeanor and attitude as the false teachers. And then they could have been arguing, like I said, over non-essential things, things that really don't matter a whole lot. Back in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Paul said to the church at Rome, he says, as For the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. He says, welcome the one weak in faith, but don't fight and quarrel over different opinions. And so the false teachers were apparently elevating their opinions to be more important or at least equal as important as Scripture. And in this case with Paul and Timothy at Ephesus, more than likely these were issues also of the law of Moses, the dietary uh, laws and restrictions uh, when it came to the, the practices of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, how much of these were applicable today during that time to the Gentile church. And so there was a lot of arguments going on in that regard as well. And Paul tells um, the Romans again in thir- chapter 13 that while we have to definitely focus on sin and get rid of sin, 
that he talks throughout the New Testament in Galatians that we're not obligated to the dietary laws and the civil laws of the, the, the Mosaic Covenant. And the, but as Christians, we're still to follow God's laws, his transcendent law that he gives us, not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, all those things which are repeated in the New Testament. And so we are n- never to think that we as New Testament believers aren't required to obey God's moral law, but they were arguing about things that did not matter. And so they were getting into it over these things. Should a Christian eat meat, not eat meat? Should they observe the Sabbath, the holy days, or not? And so we need to be sure that when we take a stand on things, that it's a gospel issue, that it's, it's critical to faith, that it's critical to critical to unity, and not allow our passions to be like me and Brian Bickers, where I'm going to stop his door and almost get into a fight over something that's insignificant and trivial. And so we need to be sure that we are focused on the, the right things, the main things. Today is a family worship Sunday, and I need a, a kid to come help me today. Jake, can, is Jake, Jake want to come help me? Jake, come up here real quick. Help me with this. Hustle up. Come here, I need you to hold these for me. Oh, nice jump. I used to be able to do that. Stand right here in the front so they can see you, all right? So I read that paramedics, any paramedics in here, I don't know if this is a universal system or not, but paramedics use different tags to determine the seriousness of somebody's injury and where they need to send them based upon that urgency. And so, Jake, what do you think? Look at those colors. You have your four colors. If someone, if someone goes to the scene and the person's dead, what color tag do you think they get on them? Hold it up, whichever one you think it is. Which color do you think that if they're dead, they get? Just pick one. Green. All right, we're going to go with black, okay? All right, black, hold this one up. Black is the color that you get if you're dead. You get a, a, a black tag attached, all right? And then they have other tags they use, a red tag. Hold a red tag up there. The red tag is given someone who's experienced serious trauma. They're in critical condition. And so they get a red tag. A yellow tag is significant injuries. They need to go to the hospital, but it's not quite as urgent. So hold up a yellow one. And then a green tag. Hold up a green. The green is for somebody who's walking wounded. They have an injury, but they could probably be treated with a first aid kit and be sent on their way. It's not urgent enough to go even to go to the hospital about it. All right. So I wanted you to think about this. This is called triage. Can you remember that name, triage? Triage is when you deal with someone who's in trauma, had a traumatic experience, and then you help them sort them out where, how exactly serious is their injury. All right, so we're going to help me with with a gospel issue here, okay? We're going to determine whether something is serious enough as a church to deal with it severely or not, and what color we're going to give them, okay? So what color would you give to somebody who says Jesus isn't real? What color would they get? Very good. Hold that up nice and high. You nailed that. Why would they get a black tag? Because they're spiritually dead. All right, so hold that up right here. So I want you to think of this like spiritual triage. I want you to think of black being, these are essential gospel issues. If you don't affirm these things, you're outside of Christianity. Here's some of the things that would go into that category. There's only one God. We're not a faith that believes in multiple gods or many gods or even three gods. We believe in one God. And we believe that that God, the Trinity, three persons in one, and Jesus Christ, he is the Christ, the Son of God is how he's referred to in Scripture. And that's critical. That's a black tag issue. You've got to believe that. 
Jesus died and rose again. We're going to celebrate that next week. We have to believe that. Someone has to believe that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. If you say, well, I believe that Jesus died, but I don't believe he rose again. So, you know, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're not a Christian if you don't believe that. It's a black tag issue. Salvation by grace through faith and not by works. That's a black tag issue, one I talk about a lot, because that's the one that Satan deceives so many people on, that you have to, you know, do something in order to earn salvation. But that's a gospel issue. And so we can think of, like, these areas, these, these issues that we deal with as a church as categories. If you went through our membership class, we put it in a bullseye kind of thing, but this is another way of thinking about it. And so the red was, hold up the red one. The red was, do you remember what the key word on that was? These people were... Yeah, good job. Urgent. Hold the red one there. So urgent. Hold that one up. All right, urgent. This is, means that these things are critical, and they may not be the bullseye, based on the, the kind of the bullseye theme, but they may not be as the black issues, the black tag issues, but they're still extremely critical and urgent for the church to deal with. These are doctrines that really determine where a person typically chooses what denomination or what people they're going to associate with, and those type of things, because these are things that divide people because there's deep, understand, deep misunderstanding on how we see these things. And sometimes these things could be considered a gospel issue. Like, for instance, let me give you an example. I said earlier that the Trinity is a black issue. But here's the thing about the Trinity. Somebody can come to Jesus without understanding the Trinity. But if you reject the Trinity, once you hear about it and somebody teaches you and say, nah, 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 I don't buy that. I don't buy three gods in one. I think there's three gods. Then you've rejected the faith. So you don't, you're never were a Christian in the first place because you can't reject the deity of Christ and the Trinity. And so that's how that some of these red issues could be black issues. But these are, like I said, issues typically where people divide over. Like think about churches. Think about churches right now that are dividing over marriage issues. That would be a red issue because denominations begin to split over these things. Or is the Bible the Word of God? Does it contain the Word of God? Uh, can, you know, does, is the Word of God there somewhere in there? That's what people divide over. All right, We believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God from beginning to end. Some churches in this town would say, well, no. We don't believe everything's equally as inspired. There's some things that are more inspired than others, and some things aren't even inspired. And the problem with that is this. The person begins to interpret what they want to interpret as being word of God versus not word of God. And, some, and all of a sudden, we make ourselves the authority. I don't like the story of Noah's ark. Eh, it's an allegory. It's not true. Throw that out. And so there begins to be us taking on ourselves these, this authority to decide on these things. And so those are considered red issues. So if you think about why denominations exist, typically, typically those are red issues. Yellow issues, hold up the yellow one, Jake. These are important issues. We should think long and hard about these things, but we should not divide and separate over them. These are things that even among our pastoral staff or our elders, there could be disagreement on these things, and we could believe strongly about what we believe, but at the same time, we should not separate over those things. For instance, like the end times, all right? There's some people among our elders that who believe that there's a rapture, seven years of tribulation, and then the second, uh, you have the thousand-year reign, the second coming, so on, the second coming, thousand-year reign, so on, the sequence of events. Others would say, you know what, there's no physical rapture of the church. We just go straight into the um, tribulation, 
And so there's differences of opinions, difference of beliefs on these things, because the Bible is not crystal clear on these. They might be to you, but it's not to the majority of people. It's not crystal clear what those things are. Another one would be whether Genesis chapter 1 is at literally 24-hour days, or are those, um, you know, are those representing of something else? And even among a church staff or elders, there could be disagreement on that. So that would be a yellow issue. They're important but they're not critical for salvation or even for unity. And then there's next there's green, and these are the minor ones, right? Do you have a lot of green injuries right now? You got a few? I've seen you sometime with a black eye or whatever. Skateboard can get rough, can't it? All right, so hopefully you haven't been to the doctor lately, have you? Okay, good. So stay safe, safe, all right? All right, just green issues only, okay? Green means they're not that serious, all right? So things that we disagree on. How many guardian angels does a person have? Does a person have a guardian angel? That could be a green issue, right? We should not get worked up over the fact that you maybe only have two guardian angels or you have one or you have zero, right? All right? You shouldn't be worked up over that. How many angels can fit on the pen head of a needle was one in the medieval times they used to argue over. So anyway, if you're following along in the app, uh, you can look and see examples and maybe even for your own sake kind of begin to put these in categories. And it's a little interesting kind of uh, experience there to do that. Jake, thank you so much here. I got, a, I got one more job for you. All right, this is a great new book that we have back at the resource table that we just put up there today. I love this book. It's how to grow, and it's very simple and basic, and it's awesome. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to run and give this to somebody. Uh, anybody have a birthday this week, this coming week? Birthday. Oh, Grace, back there in the back, way back in the corner, Mr. Dave Sterneman is next to him. So jump back there and run back there and give that to him. Thanks, Jake. Give him a hand. Give Jake a hand here. And so the key to understand when we come to Scripture is, is this impacting my obedience? Am I growing in this area because of my knowledge for the Lord and my love for the Lord? Are these things that I'm battling for, are they really not bringing about growth in my life? Are they just wasting? And so Paul's confronting these people who are just wasting their time over pointless knowledge and information. And to use the Bible for knowledge without application is to misuse it. To use the Bible for knowledge without application is to misuse it. And as we're going to see in a minute, these false teachers were not concerned about their holiness. So remind the church, warn the church, and next he says, be diligent, Timothy, in your study of God's Word. Be diligent in your study of God's Word. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. Rightly handling the Word of truth. You know, in our day and age, there's so many people who just don't even believe that truth even exists. And I read this one um, guy, his name is Josh Grissel. He's apparently a well-known psychiatrist, and this was in Psychology Today. I put this quote up here. He said, I don't believe any of it anymore, and I don't believe anyone who tells me there is a way or that they know it, not religious or political leaders, nor thought leaders, nor expert psychologists, or scientists, or economic, 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 so I'll be here, I'm stuck on that word, Um, economists, there we go, economists, not spiritually involved persons, I simply have stopped believing that any of them really have more than a mustard seed of knowledge in the universe of mystery. And so he says, I don't believe that people can know truth. And there's a lot of people like that in our society, in our culture. But I will tell you, from my experience, in 50 years of living now, that 
Scripture, God's Word, just has just a unique ability to communicate truth and get into your heart and change who you are. And that's why when I deal with somebody for marriage issues or personal struggles, we don't go to, hey, do these three things. We go to know the person who wrote the Word, and out of that comes the strength and the knowledge that you need in order to live the life God's called you to live. Scripture has an amazing, amazing power and ability and authority. But why is it that Christians have to be reminded again and again to read it and be in it? We've got to set routines up where we are in the Word every day. And so the Word, even though it was 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote to Timothy to rightly handle the Word of God. We need this command just as much today as he needed it back then. We must be, look at verse 15 again, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. What he's saying is, look, Christians, you must passionately pursue God's approval. Passionately pursue God's approval. Now, you may be thinking you're a good student of the Bible. I thought in the gospel that God fully approved of us, that we can't earn any more approval. Well, you're right about that. But what he's talking about is, just like anybody we love, we want to please them. We should want to please God and live for what God says that we should do and the way we should live. And so Paul urges Timothy to view himself. Look in this verse. He says, as a worker. He says, as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. That that every worker, if you're a good worker, you want to satisfy the expectations of your boss, don't you? You want the person above you to be happy. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, just live to please God and not yourself. And how does he do this? He says, rightly handle Scripture. Rightly handle Scripture, study the Word diligently, not just to be able to defend the faith, but to know what battles are worth fighting over and which ones are the ones that should be argued about and confronted and which ones should not be. And so he says to rightly divide the Word of truth, to know the Word, be diligent in your study. And then the fourth one, knowledge of God through Scripture leads to holiness. Knowledge of God through Scripture, leads to godliness and holiness. So he says, remind, keep reminding the church, like I'm doing today. There's probably most of the things I've said today, nobody's saying, whoa, I've never thought of that before. That's incredible. Whoa. I'm so, you know, I'm going to walk out of here a whole different person because of this knowledge I've learned. So much of, especially seasoned Christians, you're being reminded, maybe in new ways or unique ways of what's important. Remind the church. Then he says, warn the church. Warn them, don't be fighting over silly stuff. And then the third one was study God's word, and now knowledge leads to godliness. The false teachers, look, they were just babbling, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So avoid these conversations, Paul's saying, with these false teachers, because their babbling just leads people to live however they want to live, just ungodliness. Because the Bible wasn't given to fill our heads full of facts. It wasn't given for that reason. It was given to us to reflect God better so we can be, live holy as he's holy, to be godly and to show godliness and to represent Jesus well. And so really key to understand here that biblical knowledge doesn't necessarily guarantee godliness. Biblical knowledge doesn't necessarily godliness. But look, ignorance guarantees ungodliness. Ignorance guarantees ungodliness. I was reading John Piper's devotion a few days ago, and he makes this point. 
and he made it out of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, in his solid joys devotion. He says, the, the, the verse from Peter says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of him. And again, as I said in the prayer earlier, how do we find our knowledge of God? We find it through his word. Yes, we can have some awareness of God. If you go out to a deer stand and you sit there and you're like, oh, this is where I feel God. God's here, the nature. You can definitely experience God, but nothing like the word, right? You get a general revelation of God that he's given to everyone. But if you want to know what Jesus is like, you want to have a relationship with God, it's through his word, through his word of truth, his word of life. And the problem is, is kind of like what I experienced a few years ago, running, you can probably relate to as far as knowledge of God's word. When I, when Colin was probably in middle school and we would go run a few miles together, when we turned the corner to Majestic Avenue and headed to our house, which was about 150 yards, 200 yards, maybe the most, that this would be the time that he would try to test me and to see, hey, am I faster than dad yet? Can I out sprint dad after these several miles runs? And so seventh grade, sixth, seventh grade, maybe. And, and, and while we would run side by side for much of the time, during that time, I always knew, even at my age, I still had a little bit more in the reserves that I could pull from, and I could just, like, muster up a little bit more that I could kick it into a little extra lower gear and out-sprint him to the finish line. But there came a day, as well for all dads, right, when your children more than likely will be able to exceed you and, and beat you. And that's exactly what happened one day. I thought, you know, same thing, right, just pull in the reserves and go and get it and finish it, finish it off and that day, it just didn't work. In fact, it seemed like he's the one that kicked in into a lower gear, and I had nothing for the reserves to pull from. The point is clear. Some of you who aren't faithfully in God's Word, you're relying upon knowledge of the Word instead of your knowledge of Jesus, your relationship with Jesus. Because you think, when I need it, when that temptation comes or that moment of truth comes or that situation comes, I can just pull from that reserves and I can make it happen. But here's the thing. You can't rely upon yesterday's grace for today's challenges. You can't. You can't rely upon the knowledge of what God revealed to you. You didn't get it on your own because you're smart. God revealed it to you. And you can't re rely upon that to get you through today. And you're going to deceive yourself, as Scripture says. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. And even if you think, well, I'm, I'm a pretty moral person. I haven't had any major moral failures. You're not doing your job of representing Jesus because you can't represent Jesus accurately unless you're having fresh encounters with him through his word and through prayer, praying and pondering and discussing scripture. So are you relying upon yesterday's truth for your godliness? These false teachers, look at them. They were spreading their lies, and it said that it was like gangrene, verse 17. They're, they're, it was spreading among the church. Why is that? Why does gossip and bad things spread so much faster than good things and godliness? Why is that? And so we get this picture of this, this, this repulsiveness, this cancer, these sores just spreading throughout the entire body. And so they're, they're spreading throughout the church body. 
and then verse 17, among who, and then Paul actually names names, Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. So Paul calls them out straight, straight out. These guys, a couple guys. And you remember the first guy, Hymenius. He showed up in 1 Timothy. And in fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul said, turn this guy over to Satan because of the trouble he's causing in the church. What does that mean, turn him over to Satan? If you were here and maybe you remember or you know this, turn over to Satan probably was a way of saying, kind of excommunicate him from the church. Throw him out. Don't let him be part of this assembly because he's bringing this gangrene, this cancer into the church. Well, apparently, here we are in 2 Timothy, and he still has some influence, and he's still sowing seeds of lies, and he's saying the resurrection hasn't occurred, or it's already happened, it's occurred before, or the resurrection is symbolic, it's not real. Something he was saying was definitely causing people to stumble in their faith. And Paul says, these guys are causing people to swerve from the truth. And so Paul says, young Timothy, remind the church of the truth. Remind them, just like we'll remind you next week, of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you already know that Jesus rose from the dead? Of course you do. But we're going to remind ourselves of this, like we sang. We're going to warn the church, Timothy says, not to fight over these insignificant matters. We're going to be diligent in handling God's word. And then fourth, we're going to study God's word to know the author of God's word so that we can live like the author of God's word and be holy as he's holy. Those are the four things he said. And then he finishes it off with a semi-quote again from something that kind of ends each section of this book with different quotes. And he says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. And here's the quote, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. God's firm foundation stands, and probably referring here to true believers in the church. Again, he's confronting the false teachers. He says, God's firm foundation stands. Even though some people are turning away from Jesus and the gospel, the church stands. Those who are the elect we talked about last week, those people stick with it. They don't quit. They don't give up. They don't cave in. And look what he says. Even though these people are God's elect who he holds safe, he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so he's saying, even if you know Jesus, live like it. Show it. Demonstrate that. Don't think that just because you know Jesus that you just live any way you want to live. He says, depart, flee, get away from iniquity, get away from sin. So what a great word. What a great word to remind us of the word and what we as Christians should be living out in our lives. So, in closing, our head, heart, and hands. Head, knowing God through his word leads to godliness. Knowing God through his word leads us to godliness. And then our heart, read and ponder God's word. Pray over God's word, as I said. Think about God's word. Study God's word. Don't just be, oh, I did my verse of the day and I'm out of here. Really, really put some serious effort. Be diligent about studying God's Word. And then the hands. I just want you to be a part of a regular group who passionately discusses God's Word. There's just something amazing about getting a small group of people together, maybe even a step down from your K group. If your K group's a little bit bigger and a little smaller fight club, a group who gets together and just discusses the truths passionately. And you know the people in this group love Jesus 
and they, and they care about the truth of Scripture, and they want to help motivate you and spur you on and push you to be more like Christ. You should be part of that group. And those who are in groups, I'm guilty of this for sure. In some of my groups, we can easily let it slip and begin to lose focus and begin to talk about everything but God's Word. In fact, in one of my groups, we pulled back and we said, hey, let's, let's talk about Romans 8. For the next two weeks, let's read Romans 8 again and again and again and think hard about it. So when we get back together, we have the Word to discuss, not just you know, what's going on around us and in our life. All those, those things are important. It's not the main thing. We, how does the Word help us to interpret our life versus let me interpret the Word through my life? Big difference. Big difference. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your Holy Scriptures that were given to us through the apostles and prophets, but breathed by you, given by you to your select people and recorded for us so that we could live our lives in a way that reflects Jesus Christ to our culture, our society, our homes. God, forgive us for being lazy. Forgive us for just thinking that we can rely upon yesterday's knowledge and having information in our head but not knowing Jesus like we should. And God, I pray that you'll convict us enough to do something about it, that we will begin to order our schedules and arrange our lives to make the main thing the main thing. In Jesus' name we pray.